and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, this week, we are joined by Gerald, Anager, Darren, and Maggie. Darren's me. Say hello, everybody else. Hi. Uh, hello, um, everybody else. <laughs> that joke never gets old, Gerald. <laughs> it never gets old. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Like this week, we're going to actually, speaking of old stuff, we're going to kind of go back in time a little bit, and we're going to have a chat about Wonder Woman. Um, I know, it seems a little bit odd, because usually we're relatively topical, um, because we want those juicy, juicy listens, but like this week, we're, we're taking a different tack, and we're going back and talking about Wonder Woman. Not that far back, I think Wonder Woman was 20... 15, I want to say, or 2016, or something like that. Um, 17. 2017, okay. Not even that far back. Um, and I think the reason we wanted to talk about Wonder Woman is because, well, Wonder Woman is one of the DC Comics' holy trinity, along with Batman and Superman. She's probably one of the most important um, superheroes in the DC universe. And at the time when Wonder Woman came out, um, it was in my humble opinion anyway, that DC hadn't put out a decent, like... DC Universe film to that point, right? Um, so I thought it, we thought it was uh, an interesting film to discuss as a result, and also interesting because obviously Marvel, in the coming days, uh, is about to put out Captain Marvel, who is also going to become their flagship uh, woman superhero, I guess. But I guess the big difference with, I mean. I don't think that anyone's going to dispute that Wonder Woman is, like, the first lady of female superheroes. So, yeah, we thought we'd go back and talk about her film and see how we all felt about it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, why don't we go around the table with our sort of initial impressions? Um, so, this week, um, we're going to do something different. I'm going to start with Max. Max, what did you think of Wonder Woman? Okay. Um, well, I really enjoyed the movie, um, and I thought that well, I still think that, um, Wonder Woman is the most well-conceived superhero in the DC cinematic universe. Yeah, so I think she's uh, they they did a really good um, job in this movie in making her an accessible character, um, and it, it's um, set itself up as a classic origin story where Wonder Woman changes from being an idealistic, naive island girl to a strong, pragmatic warrior leader. Um, and I can talk a little bit in greater detail about what I mean about that. Um, I think, well, firstly, as you may or may not know, I love Captain America. Um, he's one of the, you know, one of the leaders in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know I exactly why you like Captain America. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly why you like him. <laughs> I think Wonder Woman, the way in which they have established her and conceived her in the DC Cinematic Universe is the mirror character in the DC Cinematic Universe to Captain America. Um, the reason why I think that is they share, in my view, a lot of common values, which are um, honesty, a very honourable approach to uh, life. Um, they're compassionate and they both also believe in the goodness of humankind in spite of everything they've experienced and seen. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why I, I really, um, uh, you know, I, I really, I guess, uh, attuned to her as a character. 
In terms of the story itself, overall, I liked the story a lot. I know there were um, quite a few parts in the movie where you had to suspend belief, um, and a lot happens within a very short period of time. Um, but I think they did enough in the story, uh, in who she is and in the relationship between her and Chris Pine's character um, for me to forgive um, plot holes and other um, strange loops of time and so on. Um, in terms of what I wanted to see more of, um, I wanted to see more of um, the Amazons themselves and to understand yes. them as a cohort of people and as characters. Um, and I also loved the way that they used the Wonder Woman song and how they introduced it in the first major battle scene. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. The Wonder Woman song is so... Like, of all the DC films, the only song mm. that I remember is the Wonder Woman song. It's such a mm. kick-ass song, right? Like, it's Amazing. Got, it's got these, like, Xena elements in it. It's, like, <laughs> it, it's, it's really cool, right? And then the way... Like, basically... Like, Mags is right. Like, it's the scene when she kind of basically busts, um, goes across no man's land and busts into the town, and that's when they start playing that theme. And it's amazing. It's so awesome. Yeah. Like, it's like that's the birth of Wonder Woman. Yeah, that yeah. Whole, her at the front, and then that first time that she actually goes in solo to um, to save, you know, the village. That That's... That's her birth as Wonder Woman, the leader warrior. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, who wants to go next? Jez, Anajar? You can go, Gerald. Um, I think the movie holds up as, as an entertaining rewatch, but I found that um, I noticed the flaws in the movie more than I did the first time around, which is, of course, <coughs> only to be expected. Um, so among the things that really leapt out at me were just how uh, weak the villains were. Um, <coughs> Ludendorff, Moreau, and um, Ares were uh, incredibly weak characters. And there's a moment after, um, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> Ludendorff and Moreau throw the gas canister into the um, meeting room of the, I presume, the German war cabinet, and they start sort of doing... Um, an exaggerated evil laugh. It was just like the scene in Austin Powers when Dr. <laughs> evil gathers around him and they all spend like an inordinately long time practicing their evil laughs. Um, and it really bugged me that we had German characters speaking to each other in German. That's always been one of my bugbears, the, the lack of verisimilitude in, in those sorts of scenes. But by the by, um, I thought the villains were, a big were the probably the biggest problem in the movie. The other the other thing um, that sort of struck me about the movie was um, its structural oddity in the sense that the two best action sequences in the entire film um, come and go before the halfway mark of the movie. I think um, the first being the Battle of Themyscira, and the second being the mm. um, the, the the march across no man's land into the village. Uh, and so even though the final action sequence of about 15 minutes duration is big on pyrotechnics and sound, it is perhaps the least satisfying uh, action sequence in the entire film. And it is the one action sequence that most closely resembles the sort of incoherent, Justice noisy, Justice nasty, Zack Snydery, 
you know, sort of incoherence. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was a really, really unfortunate way for the movie to end, I think, because it had done so much that was so, – it had done so much so well. Um, but, you know, there are still many, many positive things, m- many things on the positive side of the ledger. Uh, most prominently, I think, uh, the performance of Gal Gadot. I mean, you know, she, the, she carried the movie on her, um, at the time, relatively unknown shoulders. Uh, uh, she was certainly known to people who followed the Fast and Furious franchise. She <laughs> played, played Giselle in, in Fast and Furious 4, 5, and 6. Um, Audience reminder, Gerald loves Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. Like um, and, 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 you know, so... And, but, you know, she's not American. She's Israeli. So, you know, the, she, the, the fact that she was cast in the role, I think, took the world by surprise. There was... A lot of internet talk about her, and it's unfortunate to have to point this out, but the internet is what it is, and there's a lot of talk about her having the wrong body shape for the role what? of Wonder Woman. What? There was a lot of talk of her not being busty enough for the role of Wonder Woman. Busty? Um, busty? Yeah. Oh, God, the internet is a bunch of slime balls. <laughs> um, and, and so... And so, you know, there was, there was, a, there was, I mean, she, she was, she was very sort of savvy in joking about it. You know, she sort of very famously, um, you know, sort of reduced Jimmy Kimmel to silence one uh, episode of his show uh, when he was interviewing her, when she, when she just stopped in the middle of the interview and asked him, do you think my breasts are too small? Um, and so she just, she sort of <laughs> laughed it off and turned it around. Um, and so it speaks to, it, I think that speaks to sort of her, innate charisma and presence because she does command the screen. I mean, the fact that, you know, she's pretty easy in the eye is sort of, you know, doesn't hurt, but she also brings um, a great screen presence um, to, to the character. And I think most importantly of all, um, Wonder Woman was the first hero in the DC extended universe who was likable. Um, Superman as, rendered in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman was a dick. Um, Batman in, in Batman versus Superman was basically a vigilante psychopath who branded people. Um, these were awful people. I mean, the, one of the central complaints about Batman versus Superman was how it took these loved characters and turned them into, you know, vigilante madmen. Uh, and, whilst you can sort of understand that as an interesting take on Batman, the fact that Zack Snyder had done that to Superman uh, was an absolute travesty. And so Patty Jenkins, I think to her credit thought, well, I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put, put aside the sort of oppressive gloominess of Zack Snyder's approach to these characters. And I'm going to make, I'm going to make Diana Prince uh, radiant and, you know, and it shows in the palette of the film. So you look, look at her costume. Now, there are things to sort of um, comment upon about her costume because, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a strangely sexualized costume for a superhero. But it, 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 was, very, it was very brightly colored. And if people recall the very first image people saw of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, she was all in earth tones. So a decision was made to change the palette of Wonder Woman. And I think it, it reflects... Uh, an awareness on the part of the DC team, Patty Jenkins in particular, that tone was all important and likability was all important and relatability was all important. And um, Gal Gadot carried 
all three off with great aplomb. So it's really her movie, and she's ably supported, I think, by Chris Pine, who um, I think is one of the, he's probably better as a as a character actor than a than a leading man. He's sort of like he's got leading 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 man looks, but he's got a character a character actor's ability to just come in in, in a handful of scenes and sort of imp- leave an imprint on the movie, but you know, sort of let others carry the load. And I thought, I thought the two of them had, um, you know, had, had a really sort of winning chemistry as well. Mm, okay. Mm. So before I forget, sorry, Anna, like um, before no, we go on, go for it. Um, I, I kind of want to just like, um, Gerald mentioned that point about Wonder Woman's costume being quite colourful. And I absolutely think that was really important in this film, especially in the scene when she becomes Wonder Woman, right? Because as we, we talked about the No Man's Land scene when she goes across No Man's Land. And No Man's Land is this, like, it's a beautiful scene because No Man's Land is this sea of grey, right? And all of a sudden she takes off her cloak and she becomes this shining light because of the colour of her costume, right? Because she's got the, you know, the you know, intense red and the intense blue of her costume. So I think visually, like, they absolutely made the right choice and Patty Jenkins absolutely did the right thing in making her this sort of brilliant, sort of likable character. And and it absolutely worked in that opening, that sort of open debut scene of Wonder Woman as Wonder Woman, right? Like, I felt it really added to that scene. Anyway, um, Anager, what, what were your mm. Well, look, I really liked Wonder Woman when I saw it at the movies, but on the rewatch, I didn't like it quite as much. I agree with Mags that the best part, I think Mags said this anyway, I think the best part of the movie was um, the first part on the island. Um, I found the um, Hippolyta and the... um, the Amazons, just really fascinating. And I loved watching them in action. All the action scenes with the Amazons was so beautiful. It it reminded me of those beautiful portraits um, with, you know, the gods in the sky, um, just the way that they would hang in the sky as they struck these beautiful poses. Um, It was just breathtaking and beautiful, and I really loved it. And I think this is why when I saw it at the movies, that – sort of beginning put me in such a positive mindset that I kind of excused the rest of the movie. Whereas on a second watching, I think because I've seen those scenes from the island many times since, because I would look those scenes up, um, you know, at various times, it didn't have the same impact. And so the rest of the movie bothered me more on a rewatch. Um, I think the, the middle part, and especially the in particular, the no man's, um, the, the no man's, um, what's it called, (sighs) No Man's Land scene, I found it really crappy. Really? Um, I just think, yes, I found her, and I think them putting it in slow-mo only just exacerbated the problems with it. I thought, I found her walking, so first of all, I think Gal Gadot is beautiful. I loved watching her, her beautiful legs and all. The physicality of Gal Gadot definitely speaks to me, and I love it. However, seeing her half-naked body slow in slow-mo appear over the barricades of no man's land and walk across yeah, and it actually with billowing really hair. Put, yeah, yeah, the hair as well, but it's it's the skin got me. The, the bare skin got me. Um in in the context of no man's land and walk across it like that. 
I actually thought was a little bit disrespectful. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say this, and so I may be all alone in my feelings here. But I think, you know, given just how horrible that time period was and just how difficult that battle in no man's land was and you know how they just couldn't make any progress and the years they spent there and all of that just to see this half naked woman walk across that, that land in that way not only was it ridiculous but it just seemed disrespectful and it's not that i don't like watching gal gadot looking half naked i think i like i said i think her physicality is amazing and i love it in every other context i just really hated it there so that annoyed me um let's you know we can leave her hair out of it her hair in general yeah it's it's, it's odd but, but that's not an issue but like what really um what really also got to me is the final scenes because, okay, I get that Ares as, you know, is in disguise, right? So he's obviously going to appear like someone that we wouldn't suspect. We want it to be a bit of a plot twist. And so, you know, when, when Ares is revealed, um, that's fine. But, like, why doesn't his face change at some point? Like, that's not what actual Ares looks like, right? That's just the, the human face that he's taken on so that he can be in disguise. Did he have to keep that face? Because he looks ridiculous. I loved that he looked like this sort of <laughs> aging Englishman. <laughs> that's a very, very harsh call about David Fuellers. He's otherwise a very fine actor. Oh, you must be joking. Like, that is Ares. A car horn. That's so just who he is. He hasn't taken... <laughs> <laughs> I love how that's <laughs> Yeah, so those are my thoughts. <laughs> okay. So look, I, I I'm kind of look, I, I on the rewatch, I still really like this film, right? I, I think it's still a really solid superhero film and I my sense I'm probably more along um, aligned with Mags in the sense that I feel like it's a pretty solid origin story, right? I think there are definitely flaws with this film, but I'd say that I was happy with probably 80 to 90% of the film, and I was probably unhappy with the climax. So I also had issues with the climax at a job, but not because mm. Ares looked like an aging <laughs> English man. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I, I, in some ways, this film actually reminded me a lot of Batman Begins, because Batman Begins also starts off really strong, and I feel like... Um, is a film that is actually about something, right? There's a really strong character themes that run throughout the film, and I feel like Wonder Woman also has this. But it also, Batman Begins also has a pretty ridiculous climax, right? Like, I think generally mm. people agree that Batman Begins, the ending with Rachel Ghul and the whole Gotham City craziness is a little bit, like, over the top. And I, I kind of feel like the resolution of this film also is a little bit... Um, uh, a bit of a letdown, right? But look, let's let's talk about the good things for me first, right? I, I felt like there was a really strong um, character origin story here, and I felt like it was um, it was supported by all aspects of the film. So I, I think this film is ostensibly about um, an individual who is initially quite naive, and, um, naively, charmingly naive, and idealistic about the world, um, who basically. Um, it's a hero story, right? Where someone who is kind-hearted, good at heart, but a little bit naive and um, idealistic about the world, she comes into the real world. She kind of learns about 
um, the harsh reality of the real world, but her heroism stems from the fact that even upon learning about the harsh realities of the real world, she is able to accept them, not to, like, refute them or whatever, she's able to accept them, but then, um, basically, but also believe that there is, like, maintain her idealism, right? To accept the reality and maintain her idealism. So, I felt like that was a really strong, um, like, that was basically her character arc, right? And I felt that was, like, a really satisfying character arc. Um, I felt like it was, um, I felt like the setting was actually perfect as well, because if you think about it, like, Diane's journey is one where she goes from, like, this naive idealism to realism, and the First World War is basically the first industrialized war, and, you know, like, historically, it's kind of the war in which people go from, like, you know, sort of viewing war as this sort of honorable, mm. glorious event to seeing the harsh realities of what it can actually be with mustard gas and, like, trenches and, like, sort of horrible trench warfare and that sort of thing, right? And I felt like the choice of that setting was perfect because it kind of, the story of the world is mirroring the story of Diana, right? So I'm like, yeah, that's a great choice. Because I remember when I first like, looked at this one, I was like, why are they putting her in the First World War? But on reflection, it's like, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Great, great story, mm. writing choice, right? Um, I felt like, also, that there's a cast of characters, and not all of them are fully fleshed out, but they're fleshed out enough with Steve Trevor and whatever it is, right? Where, basically, all Steve Trevor and his band of men, are, like, throughout this film, there's, like, this sort of, in sort of her journey to realizing, like, the underlying reality of things, the truth of things, essentially, right? Um, she meets all these characters that, on face value, are, you know, deplorables, for lack of a better word, right? So she meets, you know, Steve Trevor, who is a spy, whose main job is to be deceptive. Um, all the people, like, that Steve Trevor sort of gets on his band are people who are, like, outcasts, right? People who are not, like, these typical typical sort of warrior, honorable warrior types, right? You know, you have, like, a guy who's, you know, the, profe- the, the, you know, the fast talker guy, um, the guy who's kind of been sort of traumatized and is a drunk and that sort of thing, right? But basically, her journey is basically learning to look past that sort of initial superficial view of those people and get to the heart of them. And I feel like even though those characters don't get a huge amount of stream time, you you get a little bit of the heart of each character, right? So you have the, that the guy who's like the fast talker is like, you know, he realizes that this is not really his ideal world. In his ideal world, he would be an actor and he would entertain people and that sort of thing. You know, there's the guy who sings, you know, the the, the sharpshooter who sings um, and, you know, like you kind of realize that he is sort of haunted by his actions in the past and that he actually does have like, you know, a beautiful soul and all this type of stuff, right? So, like, I feel like all of that sort of goes into that thematic crux of this film, which is about looking beyond that sort of initial view of the world into what is deeper and what is at the heart of things, right? Um, And I think also, look, I agree with Gerald that the villains are not very well fleshed out, but I feel like the villains are, are basically... Um, at the service of this main theme of deception and reality, right? Because, um, you know, really the whole point is that you have this red herring of Ludendorff who on face value is supposed to be the most 
Ares looking guy, but then you have David Thulis, well, or Sir Patrick, or whatever his name is, right? Who ends up being Ares because when you look beneath the surface, he is the one who is genuinely pulling the strings. And I feel like that makes sense given Diana's hero journey is like she learns to look past the surface, but also accept the reality underneath, right? So I, I think that Does would. Does she actually learn? To look past the surface, though, because doesn't she actually take a very naive approach to humanity the whole movie, other than right at the end where she loses the plot because Steve dies? Because um, up until then, she constantly claims that humanity are wonderful and they do deserve her, and it's just Aries that's corrupting things. Yeah, but I, I think throughout the film, she come. Uh, I, th- I think she comes to realise that... Uh, look, I mean, I think this also gets at to why... At the end, she, she acknowledges that at the end. Like, yeah. the fa- last five minutes, she makes that change. I, I, I do feel like she does come to that conclusion, right? I, th- I think the film is about... Her character arc is about her coming to that conclusion. But I, I do agree that... In the last five minutes. Well, yeah, maybe. But I, I do... I, constantly does, does, insists the, the, that humanity are good. <laughs> you know, the other, the other interesting thing to think about... The, the other interesting thing to think about the, the end is, is, to, is to ask the question whether Wonder Woman was a failure. Uh, because... She spends all of that final sequence fighting Ares, um, and killing Ares doesn't do a single thing to stop war because he's right. It's it's the the impulse towards war is in the soul of man, hmm. and all he's ever done is provide man with the tools and the instruments to act on that impulse hmm. and to wreak havoc and destruction upon the planet. All she, her attention is entirely directed towards Ares, and when she kills him, it does not do a goddamn thing because a couple of years after the end of World War One is, of course, an even bigger war, World War Two. Exactly. And and whereas it's left to Steve Trevor and his merry band of misfits to actually save countless numbers of people, in particular in Steve Trevor's case, by sacrificing himself and preventing that plane from discharging its poison payload over London. So, mm. in a sense, Wonder Woman's focus has been completely misplaced in the entire sort of final act of the movie. She's focused on Ares, which it turns out was the wrong person to focus on because killing Ares does nothing to end war. <coughs> Whereas Steve Trevor had his eyes on the prize, namely saving people's lives, and he sacrificed himself in order to achieve that. And he did achieve it in a way that she never did in that final sequence of the movie. So... I, I agree with Strangely that. Strangely enough, I get this. I get this feeling that Wonder Woman's a bit of a failure by the end of the movie. See, I, I agree with that. I, I feel like this is for me. This is the ma- movie's major issue, right? Which is like that conclusion is not satisfying because basically, I mean, what happens is that like she just gets into a fist fight with Ares, right? And absolutely, like, <laughs> Steve Trevor is the one who saves kind of all the lives. And look, fair enough, maybe Ares is some crazy super god and he would have started laying waste to the world or whatever it is. But, like, it's kind of like... It, it does feel like... It, like, there's this film where I feel like they've built all these elements to something which is a little bit more complex. And then... But maybe I, the role of a good superhero is to empower the, like, the normal people... Because, you know, Steve Trevor's did find Wonder Woman inspirational. 
and so maybe her role is to empower us and it's ultimately about you know the power for good and evil is within us and we have to affect our own destiny and people like wonder woman they're more of a symbol for you know doing the right thing rather than choosing the wrong thing rather yeah. than our saviors per okay. se I think there is something to be like. I think there is a certain truth in what Azure has just said. I guess for me, like it felt like the ending. Honestly, the conclusion wasn't satisfying, and like it, it felt like they felt like they needed to put a superhero fight there, and so they put this sort of superhero <laughs> fight, which was not particularly good. And the problem also was that, like, you know, like the way she beats Ares is. Like, they, she just whips this thing out of nowhere. It's like she beats him with the power of love or something like that. And it was really yeah, what weird. what is that extra energy that she got? What's it was, that? It was just oh, really weird. That? It turned out the power of love is like a fucking laser beam, right? Like, that's what the power of love is. She shoots a laser beam out of her wrists. And so that felt really out of place for me because why I, I don't feel like thematically that had been really super well established. I, I felt like thematically what had been established was that, like, you know, she was she was able to, um, I guess, have hope for humanity, right? She was able to cling on to the hope for humanity despite it all, right? And that's what puts her um, on the opposite side of Ares, where Ares has lost all hope in humanity, she retains the hope. So it's it was almost like, Aren't you killing him with the power of hope? Why are you killing him with the power of love? Ooh. Right? It's weird, right? And the only reason Maybe that's the god killer, right? The power yeah. of hope in humanity. Yeah, but then, then why did she say it was the power of love? It was weird. And then and <laughs> did then she it, say that. Did she yeah, say it was the power yeah, of love? Yeah, it was like she's like uh, I, or she says something about like I'm beating you with love or something like that. It was just cringe. like cringe. And it, it was just weird. It was just like and why is the power of love a laser beam? Why is it a laser beam? Like, I, I, because basically what happens is that she, she he throws the lightning at her and then she absorbs it with the gauntlets and says something about love and shoots this massive laser beam at him and obliterates him. And I'm like, man, the power of love, I guess it's a laser beam. So, look, I, I mean, I was, I've really been thinking about this, right? Because it was one thing that really struck me as odd in this film. And... One of the potential, like, maybe tinfoil hat theories I have for this is that, so, in like, I felt like maybe they didn't want to use the word hope, even though really she was beating him with the power of hope, because they had already established in the DCEU that hope belonged to Superman, right? Superman was the hope guy. Because remember how, like, mm. they keep saying that the symbol of Superman is hope? Like, even though he absolutely didn't, sort of action any of that in his film but like you know he's supposed to be the hope guy so i felt like maybe they were like oh okay well then i guess we can't use hope for wonder woman we'll just use love instead of hope right mm. and it, was, it was just like mm, that feels shoehorned in yeah like, and if anything like if thematic like thematically, maybe they should have used the word truth or something like that instead, because at least she's got the lasso of truth, right? And, you know, you could make an argument that really, like, what she's saying is that the underlying truth of things is that there is good and evil, and we kind of have to accept both, and that's how she kind of mm. defeats Ares, instead of just, like, accepting that humans are, like, fundamentally just horrible, evil creatures, right? So, anyway, so I, mm. I did have a problem with that ending, and I agree that the, the ending was a little bit reductionist, 
in some ways and um yeah like in some ways it wasn't super heroic because she kind of like steve trevor was the one who had to save all the people she just beat up a middle-aged english guy essentially right? yeah. so. <laughs> the funny thing is if you, if you take a step back and think about the movie there's actually there's actually a lot of um wonder woman um inadvertently screwing up um and failing so and the, you know this is it's, it's not her fault that um uh, robin wright dies but robin wright dies trying to save her and she later then um, crosses no man's land, saves the village, only to see the vi- everyone in the village wiped out by the gas grenades. Um, and she kills Ares, but instead of bringing peace upon the earth, um, brings an end to World War One, which eventually sows the seeds for World War Two. So, um, there's, I don't know whether this was intentional or not, but there was this just sort of, if you, 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 if you, if you think about the movie too hard, you just sort of go, um, she was awesome, but she kind of failed at, at every mission she set for herself. But in some ways, I'm okay with that. With because no, with, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because like she's, I think her heroism is kind of like, like she has this. There's a certain sort of nobility in sort of failing, but remaining positive and like hopeful for the future as well, right? And I think like, the way Gal Gadot portrays her, she has that sort of so much charm and, like, so much, like, idealism, right, in in that character that it feels like, you know, she's able to shine on through a little bit. So, look, I agree with you, Jez. I agree with you. But uh, I still felt like... It, it did still feel like a superhero film to me, right? I, I felt like she was a hero, even though she may not have accomplished the specific mission she had set for, set, well, I guess she did accomplish the mission, but, like, well, she killed yeah. Ares, but, yeah. <laughs> it's, I think, but, but, what, but, what I find accessible about her is that she doesn't emerge to us as a fully formed character from the beginning, a fully formed perfect hero from the beginning. It's more that she becomes that person. She becomes the the god killer herself through a lot of mistakes and learning from experience and the most important experience mm. being the loss of um, Chris Pine's character. What's mm. his name again? Steve um, Trevor. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Steve Trevor. So he's the one who actually teaches her the most about what it means to be a hero. Not Ares, not not even the Amazons. It's actually her relationship with this human man who is flawed also, but despite everything he's seen, he's the one who teaches her what hope means from a human's perspective in that, you know, that, um, that la- the, the sort of two line, the, the two conversations they have where mm. he's shaking her and telling her not to, you know, to stay with them. Mm. Um, mm. And then at the end when he's telling her that he's got to go um, and he gives her the watch about time. Mm. Um, so in some ways I think that actually makes her really accessible as a hero and as a character. And that's why, you kind of connect with her, despite all the, you know, the flaws in the plot and in the characters. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that, Max. I, I personally agree with that, right? I, I, I do, I, I feel like um, she's lovable because she's a character who is clearly evolving and 
like becoming a better person, right? And like I like that in my superhero films, right? I don't like characters that come out and are just like I'm perfect and I'm morally like just I'm morally perfect and I'm physically perfect as well and no one can beat me, right? Like I feel like she is a character that grows. Superman. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Superman. Look, that's a whole other kettle of <laughs> can of worms, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Should we have a quick chat about the mascara? Because I, I know we kind of mentioned it at, at the beginning. Mags, did you want to delve into that a little bit more? Or? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to spend more time on the island because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's such an important part of, I guess, the, the mythology around Wonder Woman. Who are the Amazons? Um, uh, how, you know, how are the society formed? Well, you know, who, who are these powerful warrior women what was their role and purpose why have they stayed on the island for so long um and you know besides the fact that they're super badass and i really love robin wright pan's character um you get a little bit of a sneak in um sneak peek into it when um the queen tells diana when she's a child the story of um their origin story um but it's still very much couched in mythology rather than sort of seeing things in practice. Hmm. So, yeah, so that's... that's... Yeah, look, I, I agree. I, I think the Amazon world is, like, really, like, quite intriguing. Um, yeah, to, to like, her mother, Hippolyta's character, I think one of the films that really charmed me from the get-go was actually how um, she, like, Wonder Woman had really oh. strong like, parental influences, right? And um, I actually really loved how Hippolyta as a mother was protective, but also was self-aware enough to be able to know when she needed to let go. It's kind of like this rare rare thing in a film where you find a parent that is, is able to find this balance between, like, loving and protecting and also letting their son or daughter... Like yeah, so in, 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 in essence, Hippolyta is the is the complete antithesis of a Chinese mum. <laughs> well, no, she has some tiger mum qualities, right? Because she tells um, Antiope to push Diana as hard as she can, right? So that's very tiger mum. But at the same time, she like you know at this critical point in Diana's life, instead of like hunting her down, she's like. I know you're going, and I know I can't stop you, so I'm going to give you my blessing. Which I think is, like, really... Um, I, I thought it was a really nice moment in this film, right? Where it was a moment where they didn't need to introduce drama, and they didn't introduce drama, and they basically painted a picture of, like, a really mature parental figure. I thought it was awesome in a film. I thought it was, like, a great contrast to, um, like, Kevin Costa's character in... Man of Steel, who yeah. was incomprehensible, <laughs> right? Like, Parkhead <laughs> was such a misanthropist. He did not want Superman <clears throat> to exhibit his powers to save anyone for fear that humankind would seek to destroy him. Um, and his misanthropy uh, 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 was so deep-seated that it eventually killed him because he uh, signaled to, to Clark Kent not to save him. Um, and that is such a warped parental psychopathology. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it on screen. 
Yeah, it was, it was the weirdest thing ever, right? But then, so I love that in Wonder Woman, you had this alternative parental figure who was, like, really mature and, like, made sense, right? And it kind of made sense that her daughter was so much well-balanced and more likable than Superman because the mother was making good parental decisions, right? Like, <laughs> can, I, can I just say about, about Fenestera that um, I am torn about it. On the one hand, the world is beautifully realized. It is mm. visually stunning mm. and to see these incredibly powerful women absolutely kicking us fighting in a very distinctive way um was spectacular i, I, I think the the battle of themiscara of themiscara is perhaps the action set piece of the movie mm. May, i i will be perhaps even more so than the crossing of no man's land leading to the saving of the village totally <laughs> problem the problem is <laughs> The, the society of Themyscira is a portrait of haunting failure. These were people, the, the, the Amazons, the Amazons, the Amazons were placed upon the planet to, to bring peace, to save mankind. And instead they hung around on their own island, wrapped themselves in isolation to such an extent that they completely became disconnected with mankind, failed to realize the extent to which mankind had developed weapons of incredible destructive power, such that when the Battle of Themyscira uh, starts, a whole bunch of them die of gunshot wounds. And what happened, you know? What what was it that prompted the Amazons to retreat into themselves to such an extent that they cut themselves off from the rest of the world and abandoned their mission of ensuring that there was peace on the face of the planet? I just found that, I just found that so bizarre. Could have been two um, things. So could have been could have been the realization that mankind are not worth protecting, so let's just kind of do our own thing and hope they don't find us. Or it could have been love for um, Diana because they knew she was meant to be the weapon to be used in their aid, and maybe you know she was baby, and the queen Hippolyta was her mother, and maybe that maybe that's what they were doing. They were trying to protect Diana. Yeah, mm. I mean, mm. I, I think. That is really the only reasonable explanation. It, look, it is weird. I have to agree. You know what Gerald just said? I said to Mags as well when I watched this film, right? Like, I think, <laughs> like, on face value, Themyscira is awesome. But then when you kind of dig past it, it's kind of like, it's really weird, right? Like, look, Mags made the point to me that, um, was their task to protect humanity or to beat Ares? I'm not... I can't remember I exactly. I think at the end, after the initial battle where all the gods were killed and when Diana was created by Zeus, it was to save mankind. But then it was, it, then it became killing Ares. Yeah. So because in some ways, if, for example, they had retreated into their island because men were horrible, then basically they have become Ares, right? Like, because that's Ares' philosophy as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. F humans, because they're horrible. So forget about those guys. Um, so, like, I, I feel like it has to be the latter, that the reason they've adopted isolationism has to be to protect Diana. Which, but it, it seems like they've been isolation for, like, isolationists for thousands of years. So it kind of begs the question, how long did it really take Diana to grow up? <laughs> right? Like... No, 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 but given that Diana's a bit of a failure at the end of the movie because, <laughs> oh. hey, she doesn't bring, well, peace, like, 
Was it worth it? Was it worth centuries <laughs> of human beings dying because Amazon was the wheel? <laughs> um, it, it's well, okay. From one misanthropist to another. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it? Okay, so I absolutely agree with Gerald in the sense that it made no sense that if they were built. Okay, so Amazons are supposed to be like masters of warfare, right? Like their aim was basically to train themselves super hard to basically be these awesome warrior people, so that they could defeat Ares or whatever it was, right? So you would think that an aspect of warfare is being up to date with what technology is so you would have mm. thought they would have sent a spy or something out there out to the wider world so that they could understand what people are using it, it did feel so weird during the battle of like when that first amazon gets shot the thing that actually mm. occurred to me that was weird was i i would have thought they would have been bulletproof or something because the <laughs> reason that they're using like arrows and swords is because I don't need guns because I'm bulletproof. Like I don't need guns because I'm bulletproof, right? But then it's like <laughs> they're not bulletproof; they're just normal, right? Like it was so weird. Um, yeah, like because you would think, like I honestly felt like there was something mystical about them that kind of was why they didn't use guns or whatever. That was why they continued to train with a sword, right? But. No, it turns really. it turns out it turns out that by by erecting a protectionist border around themselves, they failed to innovate. Yes, yes, they built the wall. They built the wall. <laughs> well, that's uh, and so and so, really, 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 the failure of Themyscira is is, a, is an allegory for the failure of protectionism. Themyscira is a sort of mythological North Korea, a sort of society cut off from the rest of the world, uh, completely self-absorbed. Uh, completely concerned with its own, with, with the maintenance of its own sense of order, and and so completely and utterly backward. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Look, it, it was. It, if you if you think, too, I feel like this is absolutely a film that if you think too hard about the details, <laughs> things start falling apart. Right? It's like Aquaman in that way, where you start thinking too much about the details. It's just I feel like the other aspects of this film are probably better built. Than Aquaman <laughs> on face value, can, anyway. Can, yeah. <laughs> without without being too jarring, can I also can I just mention something that I that um really does I think redeem the movie, and that is um its humour. I think um the fish out of water sequence when she turns up in London. I mean, it, really? you know, it's pretty obvious. It's obvious, but it's actually done pretty well, I think. Um. And, she has you know, good comic timing. Like she's good. She does have good comic timing. That, that, yeah. I, I think the best line reading in the movie is when she says to the ice cream seller, "You should be very proud of yourself." Yeah. Um, the way she delivered that line was just unbelievably funny. Look, she's just a really charming person, right? Like the reality mm. is, you can sense her like personality on the screen. Like she's mm. like she has like that sort of movie star personality in spades, right? So, absolutely. Like, that that just shines in, in this film. And I agree, I agree. Like, um, I think it ties to your initial point about Gal Gadot really carrying this film, right? Mm. Because that humour, that sense of humour, that sense of charm is really coming from her, really, right? So, mm. yeah, yeah, coming from her. And it is, it is singularly unique amongst the entire set of DC superheroes. Um, yeah, yeah. So, as I, as I was saying, Batman and Superman are dicks, and Aquaman, yeah, Aquaman, like, as played by Momoa, like, Momoa 
it's not without its moments, but it's not as endearing and doesn't leave as lasting an impression as the sort of charisma of Gal Gadot's rendition of, of, um, of Wonder Woman. Yeah, I felt like with Aquaman, they literally just gave up on having a any sort of theme or coherent story, and they just went, we're just going to do crazy action all the time. <laughs> um, mm. But, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, is there anything else we really want to say about Wonder Woman? I'm looking forward to what's coming next. Uh, Captain Marvel. And yes. they got to compare. Yeah, we, we, it will be interesting to compare between um, Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. There was one more thing that I was going to say, but it's kind of slipped my mind. Oh, I remember hmm. that. So, Jerry, like you were talking about like the Holy Trinity of DC, right? So the Holy Trinity of DC is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. It's the foundation of the Justice League. Um, so, like, <laughs> one of the things that I was reflecting on in this film was that if Superman is meant to represent hope, and I know that he doesn't, but say for the sake of argument, he's meant to represent hope. And say for the sake of argument, Wonder Woman is meant to represent love. What on earth was Batman supposed to represent? Hate. I, I, <laughs> hate, <laughs> really? <laughs> rage. Yeah. Rage. Blind, rage. Power? Indiscriminate. <laughs> unfair, merciless. Because <laughs> it's so weird, right? Like, Income Batman... Inequality? <laughs> Income inequality. Look, I've always maintained that super, uh, Batman's superpower is his wealth, right? That's actually mm-hmm. his superpower. Limitless wealth is his superpower. <laughs> Batman's wealth is his superpower, and he uses it to every night to beat the shit out of poor people. <laughs> Look, I love that Batman. I mean, it is when you look you at it like about, that, it's if ridiculous. Think, if you think about the politics of Batman for too long, it is so completely fascist. Um, <laughs> but the problem and, is and that Schneider Batman. makes him even more fascist, right? Like, it's not like it's not like the Bale Superman who kind. Of, sorry, the Bale Batman. Who... Bale, Bale, ba- Bale Batman in Dark Knight Rises is kind of crypto fascist. <laughs> yes, certainly. Certainly, by the time we get to Affleck Batman branding, um, branding people with the um, with that little sort of um, little bat thing that he that he chucks around. I mean, by that time he's gone sort of. Jerry, he's, he's not even just branding people. He's just outright annihilating people, right? That's oh, the that's same right. way he shoots people. people and branding them, and he he is he's he's just gone full dirty Harry vigilante fascist. Um, <laughs> So what is it? What is the redeeming quality of Batman? I don't understand what their vision for this universe was going to be. I'm sorry, like, like honestly, was was there anything redeeming about that character? No, no, they forgot what superheroes are meant to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some they they took the wrong lessons out of Nolan Batman. They thought, oh. What we do is we make him really dark and brutal, make him really tortured, and uh, and we will amp up the we'll amp up the fascism. So, um, so you know, we we'll we'll sort of really really play with the idea of um, really rich guy annihilating poor people every night on the street. I mean, it is it is 
that rendition about just take a step back. I mean, he's basically a very wealthy serial killer. Who <laughs> peaks with the poor. <laughs> it is so disturbing. Yeah. I, I, anyway, that's that's kind of not really about Wonder Woman. It, it just it was just like when I was watching Wonder Woman, I was what, trying what to it, what it does establish is what it does establish is the extent to which um, the the project began so askew and went so awry that this movie you know perhaps seemed better than it than it was because it 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 was such a contrast to what came before you know we had such low hopes for the dc extended universe off the back of man of steel and batman versus superman dawn of justice and i think a lot of people would say that in the very in the brief moments of screen time that Diana Prince had in Batman versus Superman, she was probably the best thing in that movie. Um, and so, I think they 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 placed they 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 made the right bet in deciding okay, um, we, we're going to have to take a swerve and go go to Wonder Woman. And we've heard talk now that like um, Cavill has been sacked and Affleck has been sacked. And that the the basically the the DC stable of movies will no longer focus on Batman or Superman. That the next tranche of films is going to be focusing on a younger, more diverse, and I think we I think we've been told more female um, group of characters. And so we're going to find more marginal figures from the DC universe. Like I think the next movie is Shazam. Yeah, so they've decided, you know, the big flagship characters have tanked and we have we have ruined them. We have so utterly debased them and stripped them of whatever it was that made them iconic. And the only person, the only character who survived the entire process of Zack Snyder getting his grubby little paws on these characters was was Wonder Woman. And that's partly because the, it's partly because, um, I think, you know, Snyder just wasn't really interested in Wonder Woman. So he kind of left her alone in Batman versus Superman, which left Patty Jenkins enough space to craft this likable, hopeful, endearingly idealistic character who was such a breath of fresh air compared to the, um, brooding psychopaths, um, who were the other DC heroes. Yeah, look, 100% agreed. Look, I think, I I, I still think this is a pretty solid film, right? Like, I know that there are definitely flaws with the film, but I I still think it's quite an enjoyable film. And I think, like, I think it's a pretty solid film. So, but look, understand that there, like, there are definitely flaws with this film as well. Um, But yeah, I, I think it's definitely, probably to date, the strongest of the DC films. So... We'll see how this stacks up against Captain Marvel. So, um, okay. Great. Cool. Thanks for joining me tonight, everybody. It was a pretty interesting chat. I think what <laughs> I've taken out of this chat is that we may need to do a rewatch of Batman vs. Superman. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've talked a lot about Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> so that... Never watch it again. Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, well... Martha? Martha? <laughs> <laughs>
So on that note, we will see you guys next week for Captain Marvel. Um, thanks, everyone. Sounds great. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Ciao.